Kids, you are dismissed for Children's Church, so you can make your way to the back. And let's take our Bibles. We will turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. We'll be looking at verses 8 through 13 this morning. I'd like for you to do something this morning. Our bulletins. Normally we look on the inside and there's all kinds of great information about opportunities for serving and ministries that are going on during the week. We always appreciate the order of service so that we know how much more singing we have to do. (laughs) We also appreciate the outline because we have to uh, get an idea of how much more preaching we have to endure. But on the backs of our bulletins, right smack dab in the middle of the page, there's this diagram. And it says, connect, grow, and serve. That's part of who we are as a church body. That's what we're striving toward. That's what we want to see God doing in our midst. He wants to see us connect with Him and with one another. And you know, what's amazing, as we've gone through 1 Timothy, we've seen a lot of connection. Paul has talked to Timothy about the importance of the gospel, how that gospel leads us into a relationship with God. He's talked about how we're to come into the church and how we're to connect with one another. He's shared with us the importance of having a church that is structured in a godly manner and in a way that that pleases God. We've also seen the Apostle Paul talk a lot about the importance of spiritual growth, the importance of us coming together and and growing with one another and to progress into places of leadership within the church. A goal that we should be striving toward is getting to know one another, getting to know God in a way that fosters that kind of growth. But as we come to This third chapter, really what we've been looking at is serving. So, connect, grow, serve. As believers, we serve God first and foremost. But we also serve our church body, and we serve the community around us so that they can get connected in their relationship with God. So that's sort of the model that our church follows in the way that we do ministry. And that's a model that we see right here in 1 Timothy And as we come to this third chapter and we start to look at this eighth verse, we're talking about a particular role within the church body that discusses the importance of serving, and that's the ministry of deacons. Now, for many of you in your faith traditions, when you hear the word deacon, you think in terms of a leader in the church, often very close to the function that our elders serve in. At Oaklawn Bible Church, we see the role of deacon a little differently. We believe that deacon, which basically means to serve, is a position in the church where you are leading a ministry or where you are serving the church body through organizing, through carrying out the ideas and implementation of ministry that the elders share with us. Those are roles of deacons within our church. And we believe that really everybody within the church should strive towards serving. And that's why this morning's message has a lot to do with all of you. Because all of us as believers should be serving God. Some are called into leadership roles in that serving where they organize and where they direct the service of the church. But others 
and the church body sort of serve behind the scenes. And that's an important role for us all. But here's the thing that I want us to see this morning. When we serve God, there should be a spiritual maturity that exists in us and that develops in us so that we can serve Him better and better and better. And that's what I want us to see this morning. As we begin in the eighth verse, we find the requirements for serving the body of Christ. You know, sometimes churches are guilty of this. We have a ministry need. Please, any warm body that is willing to come in and fulfill that need, step up. Anybody will do. The only ability we want is availability, so step in. When we look in Scripture, the idea of service carries with it some spiritual integrity, some idea that the person who is serving isn't filling a role, they're fulfilling what God wants them to do in service to Him. And that's a huge perspective that as a church body we really have to have. Never view your service to Christ as fulfilling a role in the church so that a position can be filled. That's short-sighted. It's unscriptural. Serving in the church body means we are first and foremost serving God, but we are also serving His people who are precious to God. And that's why as Paul discusses the role of a deacon in this passage, he shares with us some important truths about deacons. And first, I think we need to understand what is a deacon? What is the right understanding of the term deacon? Look carefully at the 8th verse and The NIV begins with the title, deacons. Who are they? And what are they? Well, as I said, deacon very simply means to serve. And these are people who serve in a capacity in the church in a way that ministers to the church body. We see the model for deacons first introduced to us in Acts chapter 6. And in this text, we find the Scripture sharing with us an event that was going on at the early church there in Antioch, or excuse me, Jerusalem. And, and the issue was this. There were widows within the church who needed to be cared for. Some of the widows were of Jewish descent. Some of the widows were of Greek descent. And as a result, there was some favoritism that was perceived, if not actual. So the solution to resolving an issue where there were hard feelings developing within the church was to select people to serve, but not just anyone. They were to select seven people who were controlled or filled by the Holy Spirit, and they were to serve in this important ministry. So look at what we find. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the Word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom, and we will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. God carves out different needs within the church and differing people to fulfill those needs. And what the Word of God teaches us here is the apostles 
were to give attention to the Scripture and the Word. And the church body was to come alongside those who were in need, the widows in this case. And they were to choose people to serve those widows. And those were to come from the church body. But there were spiritual qualifications in place. Now, as we've looked through the third chapter, in verses 1 through 7, we saw teaching concerning elders. And as we were going through this teaching concerning elders, we found that elders are to primarily be male leadership. But as we come to deacons, I think we see something quite different. The deacons that are mentioned here, while initially qualifications are given concerning them being male, look at verse 11. And in verse 11, it says, in the same way, now, the 1984 version of the NIV says, their wives are to be women worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. The literal translation of this passage is, the women are to be worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. Now, there's a lot of debate among Bible teachers as to whether verse 11 refers to the wives of deacons, which makes sense, because if you have someone in leadership, if they have a wife who harms the ministry of that leader, that can be harmful to the church body. But there's another possibility, and that possibility is he's talking about women who serve in the church alongside the men. And that's the interpretation that, to me, makes a lot of sense. You see, if it were an issue where a wife had to be somebody who was worthy of respect and all of those things, why wouldn't that be associated with the elders? Why is it only mentioned when it comes to the deacons? Wouldn't it be equally important, perhaps even more important, for elders to have that kind of wife? I would say to you, absolutely yes. To me, what makes more sense is what we're talking about here are deacons and deaconesses who serve within the church. And this isn't an isolated passage of Scripture. When we go to the book of Romans, we see a woman named Phoebe. And it says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe. Now, our English Bibles say a servant, but literally it's a deacon of the church in Centuria. And I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and to give her help she may need from you. Now look at this. For she has been a great help to many people, including me. So the idea that I see here is within the church body, there are places of service for men and women. And Paul is upholding that idea right here in 1 Timothy as he's talking about the qualifications of a deacon. Now, some of you may disagree with that, and that's okay. When you get to heaven, you'll find out I'm right. (laughs) But back to the text. We find that deacons have certain character traits, certain behaviors that they are to have as they serve in the church body. Remember moments ago I said that it's essential that we have people put into place to serve Christ in the church body that are not just warm bodies willing to half-heartedly take on a position, but that there is a spiritual character 
behind their service in the, in the church to Christ. And so let's look at some of these requirements. And we pick these up, first of all, here in the eighth verse. It says, likewise, deacons are to be men worthy of respect. Now, when we go down to the 11th verse, we see that same requirement, don't we? In the same way, women are to be women worthy of respect. What does that term mean? For the elder, it was there to be above reproach. For the deacon, the servant of Christ, it means that they have the kind of life that garners respect from those who observe their lives. And let me tell you why this is important. In my first full-time ministry, I served in a church that was huge by our standards. About 1,200 people every Sunday morning came in and out through the doors of our church. And because I was just the young buck on staff, I would often sit in the back of the church, and if there was a need, I would go and address the need, but I kind of kept my eye on things and would do something to try and help facilitate what's going on there on Sunday morning. So I'm sitting in the back, and these visitors walk right through the middle doors. Our sanctuary was about five times the size, but set up very similarly. And this family comes walking through the door, and up front stands one of our ushers. And I heard the man say to the wife, if that's the kind of person they have serving here in this church, we're out of here. The guy who was serving as an usher was a contractor. And unfortunately, he had a horrible reputation. He cheated people out of money. He lied to people. He was not a good example of what it is to be a servant of Jesus Christ. That can crush a church. So we have the responsibility as a church family that as someone serves in a ministry, they don't have to be perfect, just like with the elders. Perfection is the requirement. I'll see you. I'll exit right through that door, and there's another door there that goes right outside, and I'll just keep walking. Perfection isn't something that we can attain to. But let me say this. As we serve Christ, we have to remember we represent Jesus Christ. And as we serve a church, people will view our church through the lens of how we present ourselves. So it's vital, vital, that we live respectful lives. Look at the next requirement. In addition to being those who are respected by the church and by the community, they're to be, now the NIV Bible says, sincere. Some of you who have other translations probably have this translated as not double-tongued. And that's a literal translation of what this word sincere really means. Now, what does it mean to be double-tongued? We use the term, ah, he's talking out of both sides of his mouth, Right? And what that means is they'll say one thing to this person and they'll say something entirely different to someone else. That's probably why the NIV looked at this text and said, hey, sincere captures the idea of what's being articulated. But what it means is consistency. It carries with it the idea that we are speaking consistently 
when it comes to our values, when it comes to our truth. When I was working one summer for Campus Crusade for Christ, I was on a beach project. I worked in a computer component place, and it was mind-numbing. You'd take a little piece of wire, you'd slip a piece of rubber insulation over it, and you'd hold it over a, 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 a heating gun. And that was basically done five days a week, eight hours a day, and you prayed that they wouldn't ask you for overtime. And so I worked across this la- uh, the, the table from this lady who, I worked construction, so, you know, my ears had been invaded by things not fitting together and the dialogue that would follow from construction workers. I, I was used to foul language, all right? So here's this woman, and she made me blush, which construction workers hadn't made me do. The stuff that was coming out of her mouth was so filthy and vile. And so she said, are you just working here for the summer, or is this your new career? And I said, yeah, career. (laughs) Right. But I said, no, I'm here on a beach project with Campus Crusade for Christ. And without missing a beat, she said, well, praise God. Isn't it wonderful when young people serve our Lord? Now, that's being double-toned, right? There's not a consistency there. God wants us to be consistent in the way that we interact with those around us and the way that we interact with one another. If I hear somebody say something and I gossip to somebody else, it's being double-toned. Y'all hold your confidence. <laughs> I can't wait till I can get someone else and tell them what I just learned. Double-toned. God doesn't want us to be that when we serve in the body of Christ. Look at the next requirement. Not indulging in wine and not pursuing dishonest gain. Now, here it's talking about people who go into excess in every area of their life. If a person drinks too much, if they... Live to party. Guess what? They're not going to provide a good example for the church body. And they need to check whether or not they qualify to serve. For the materialistic person, it's all about money. My whole motivation is money, 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 material, material, material. Then I have no business serving the church body through ministry. Look at what else we find in verse 9. They must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. Now here it's not saying they are able to regurgitate a lot of information because they sat in church so long they've learned neat stuff to say. What it's saying is they are able to hold to those things with a clear conscience. In other words, we practice what we preach. This is what God wants to see as we serve Him. He doesn't want duplicitous deacons. He wants people who serve with sincerity, who have a life of integrity behind their service. And that's what God is calling us to in this text. And listen, this is what we should take very seriously as followers of Jesus Christ in our own lives and in the life of this church. God wants these kinds of servants. Look at what else we find. Verse 10. 
They must be tested. And then if there is nothing against them, let them serve. The idea of evaluation, an important part of choosing who leads and serves in the church body. One of the reasons that our church family has a nominating committee is because this committee is charged with the responsibility of examining those who serve in the various ministries of our church. They bring them in. They ask them questions. They share with them what our Constitution says, which is basically what the Scripture says about qualifications of people who serve in these roles and in these ministries. We think about their reputation within the church. And then based on that interview, we bring them on. This is what God wants a church to do. And that's why we do it. Now in verse 11, we see the women, and again, women worthy of respect, but then look at the next statement, not malicious talkers. Now that pairs very well with not double-tongued that we saw for the male deacons, right? And it goes on to say that they're to be temperate. That pairs very well with the idea of not being a drunkard or materialistic. And then they're to be trustworthy in everything. In other words, you look at this person and they follow through. You can count on them. They're faithful. God wants faithful servants. One of the greatest frustrations for ministries is to have somebody who will come along and say, yeah, I'll do that, and then never show up. God wants faithful people. And as we're growing and maturing in our faith, that faithfulness should become evident in the way we conduct ourselves with one another as well as those outside. Look at verse 12. The deacon is to be the husband of one wife. Now, as we saw that earlier, as it pertained to the elders, it was talking about the fact that they are fully devoted to the woman that they are married to. It is the idea of a qualitative relationship with their spouse. And that's to be something that is true of deacons as well as of elders. They are to manage their own household well. We saw that with elders. If they have children who are undisciplined and wild, that shows a lapse in judgment and an improper way of leading in the home. And all of these characteristics of a deacon are to be looked upon seriously by the church body. But let me share this with you. These qualifications aren't just for us to look at others and say, do they qualify as a deacon? These are things that we are to evaluate ourselves by. See, those who serve, whether it's elder or deacon, are those who are maturing in their faith. They have connected with God. They are growing in their faith. And the natural outworking of our growth is service. So what I'm to do is to ask myself, how am I progressing in these things as I grow? And by the way, if you're an elder or if you're serving in a ministry of the church, don't say, I got this because I am one. 
Understand these are areas we're to continue to grow in. I've been serving the Lord for 35 years and I still see things that I'm tweaking and working on and praying that God will develop in my life. And we all should. God wants servants who can be used of Him. But then we come to the 13th verse. And when we come to the 13th verse, what we find is that there are rewards for serving the church body. And the first reward that we get is reputation. Look at the 13th verse. Those who have served well gain an excellent standing. Now, this is kind of open-ended, isn't it? When I first looked at this, I thought, okay, gain an excellent standing in what? In my relationship with God? Well, understand this. Nothing I do gains any more of God's love or approval than anything else. God has approved me and loved me in Christ Jesus. But I want you to think about this for a moment. There are rewards that God bestows upon the faithful. When you look in Scripture, those who are faithful in the few things that they're given to do here will be given more to do during the kingdom of Christ. So there is an ability to gain good standing in that sense. Is that what Paul is talking about here? I don't know. There's something else. As I'm maturing and gaining that reputation within the church body. I'm gaining a greater standing in the church body. People recognize what's going on in my life, and they respect me for it. And so we do gain a good standing in that sense. So which is it? You know what I'd say to you? I think Paul left it open-ended for a reason. Because I think it could be both. As followers of Jesus Christ, we want to be found faithful. I don't know about you, but at the end of my life, when I appear before the Lord, I want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. I don't want to be like in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 where your life is put on the test by fire and there's a pile of ashes left. I want there to be gold and silver and precious stones. So I want that Good standing, not for my glory, but for the glory of God. I want at the end of my life to look and say, I accomplished something for Jesus Christ. As we serve, many of you serve behind the scenes and go unrecognized now. Understand this, there will come a time when all that you've done is brought to light and you receive your reward a blessing that we as Christians need to think about and be motivated by. But also understand this. There's a huge blessing in having the church body look at us and say, you're headed in the right direction. You're on the right path. We're on the sidelines cheering you on. Keep growing in the faith. That kind of good standing can be something that not only is a blessing to us, but is a blessing to others. When I was a college student 
I had a first grade Sunday school class that I taught. I loved those kids. Man, I, I would come in Sunday morning and they would all run and pile on and climb all over me and, you know, I'd give them a hug and on to the lesson. We had a great time. It was really a blessing getting to work with those boys. But then, you know, one Sunday, and I'll never forget this, one of the moms of the boys came up to me afterwards and had big tears in her eyes, and she said, don't you ever fall. My son looks up to you like you wouldn't believe. He respects you. He wants to be like you. Please don't ever fall. That's a lot of pressure on a college student. But I'll tell you what, the Holy Spirit used that to replay in my mind when I was thinking about questionable things. And it caused me to grow. God wants us to be that person who gains that good reputation, who gains standing with God and with men. As believers, part of the way we gain that standing is through our service. And really, service is something that should describe every believer in the church. Peter said this, each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others. All of you have been given a spiritual gift. Every one of you who has trusted Christ as your Savior, you have received a spiritual gift. And it's not so I can walk around and say, hey, I have the gift of teaching. I never teach anything, but that's my gift. Not the idea. The idea is I have it to use it. And I'm to serve others with it. And in so doing, I'm faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. What that very simply means is I'm using what God has given me as a steward. I'm managing what God has given me to do. And then look at verse 11. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength that God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ, to Him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. That's what God wants to see in His church. People who serve in that spirit and in that way. But then we come to the final part of that 13th verse. And that is we receive great assurance in the faith. Look at verse 13. Those who have served well gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus. Now, what does it mean that we gain great assurance in our faith? You know what I've seen? As I serve God, and then as a pastor through the years, as I've seen the church body getting involved in serving, it bolsters your faith. You see God doing amazing things. You get into the inner circle of work within the church and serving within the church, and yes, you have the things that happen that will dishearten you, but you also have the things that happen where you look and you say, wow, God did this. That's really awesome. And I was able to be used of God to be part of it. What a blessing. And man, does that throw kerosene on the spiritual fire. As I talk to a lot of people, sometimes they look and they say, man, I feel sort of disconnected from God and from the church. And I don't know, man. I'm, I'm just not getting what I hope to get out of this. 
I guess the question that we should ask ourselves is, well, what are you putting into it? What have you invested in being a part of this community of believers? We're excited when people come and when we fellowship with them. It's a blessing to have others to rub shoulders with and to praise with and to sit under the word with. But that's not the extent of church, is it? Church should be a place where we connect, where we grow, and certainly where we serve. And if you look on the back of that bulletin again, notice that model, connect, grow, serve. Connect leads to growth. Growth leads to service. And then there are three arrows there, right? One arrow goes out to the community. One arrow goes up to God. One arrow goes back into the church family as we serve the church. All three of those are important. Let me encourage you. If you're a servant of God in this church body and you're discouraged, understand this. This is God's church. We hit bumps. We get bruises. But God has good things in store for Oakland Bible Church. And I believe that with all my heart. I look forward to seeing what God is going to do in this church family, in this church body. And I'm saying that from the heart, not just because I'm the pastor and that's my job to be the cheerleader for growth and things that are going on in our church. I see us set up to do some great things. But that happens through prayer. That happens through our involvement, being part of this church ministry where we see our community reach for Christ and we see people discipled and growing in their faith. God wants to see that as a part of who we are. And a way that we do it is through service. You want great assurance in your faith? Engage in serving God. It will happen. You will grow as you grow in him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this text. We thank you for the reminder that it is to us that we are to be servants of one another, servants of you. We pray that we will serve with all integrity, that there will be spiritual growth that will produce in us the traits that are mentioned in this whole third chapter. May we be people who represent Christ well. May we be sincere in our faith. May we hold to the teachings of Scripture with clear consciences. We lay this before you, and we ask you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.